you may have heard of the story of when the boy cried wolf. The boy ran into town and he said the wolf is coming. Nobody listened to him by the end because they just didn't believe it wasn't true. Unfortunately, on Saturday afternoon, that boy was crying wolf and he wasn't heard over the sound of nearly 40,000 Villa fans celebrating their good fortune. Unfortunately, in 10 minutes, to mix our nursery rhymes and tales of yesteryear, our house was made of straw and it went blowing down. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, Stay tuned. This is Talk of the Trinity. Hello and welcome to Talk of the Trinity. If you survived the intro, welcome. Come in to our house. It's not made of straw. It is made of bricks. I can guarantee that. And as sturdy as the foundations of this house are our opinions about all things Villa. We're going to be delving into the aftermath of Villa Wolves on Saturday afternoon. We're going to be looking forward to Arsenal Villa on Friday night. Maybe with a guest star, maybe not. We'll have to tease you with that and you'll have to stay tuned to see if we can find anybody to talk to us. Spoiler alert, won't be Piers Morgan. We He asked to come on the show and we said no. Emile Smith-Rowe? We did have a conversation in the car park. You know, can't disclose any more at that stage. Can it chase? Well, you know, if it was good enough for insert name here that our lawyers have told us not to include, then it's good enough for us. So we are on an increasing number of channels to listen to this podcast and all the back episodes when we get to uploading them. We're on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, Google. I think I've got them all. YouTube. YouTube. Knew there was going to be one. Where it all began on our YouTube channel at Talk Trinity on YouTube, at Talk Trinity on Twitter. Type in Talk Trinity into the other podcast providers. You will find us eventually. You may have to scroll over some other, no doubt, entertaining podcasts to find us. But we may be coming to more channels near you soon I mean you know we'll just have to see what our providers have got in store for us Corrupt so, FM man I'd, I'd love to be on Corrupt FM you know I mean <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate we can't play Ipswich away oh mate yeah though I'm Baz Barrett with me is Will Forrest as always and I suppose like a plaster the best way to remove the potential pain and aftermath is just to have a Really quick tear, get it all over with in one go. Brings us to Villa Wolves on Saturday. I suppose, apart from, you know, kind of kind of the obvious of, that wasn't very good, was it? We can look in terms of, from, from you viewing the game on Saturday, do you think it was just one of those freak results in football that, you know, happen, 
you know once every few years at, you can't really cater for and you just gotta brush yourself down and move on do you think it was a symptom of potentially wider issues with the current team current lineup the the formation for example you know we've talked about it in previous podcasts about you know we've got that variety now sometimes a little much choice can be a dangerous thing maybe or do you think it was bits of both definitely the latter bits of both um when you when you look at the the result itself you hope that it is a freak one we we went ahead and we obviously blew that two goal lead that hasn't happened so far this season otherwise we've managed to hold on to leads um whether we're playing four at the back or five at the back so it's a little disappointing but I've, as soon as wolves got that first goal their tails were up they were howling at the moon and you could tell that they felt that they could get a draw and when they get that second goal with five minutes left and you've got all that injury time as well, they're obviously thinking, well, actually, a draw isn't good enough for us. And where we've sat back and we've invited pressure onto us, we probably should have been pressing a bit more. See out that game, get that third goal. The old cliche is 2-0 is the most dangerous scoreline in football because it only takes one goal for the opposition, to be right back in it. Um, as you say, is it is it the formation? Was it the way that we play? Is there too much tinkering going on at times? Potentially, there were players who weren't used to... Well, actually, there was one player who wasn't used to the position he was in, and that was Buendia, because he was more central, where he's used to playing out wide on the right for... Norwich and where Norwich fans say is that he's most effective. He was more in that number 10 behind Ings and Watkins who were still trying to get used to each other. And for whatever reason, we just, our game management was off for a change. I do think it's one of those occasions whereby we could borrow from our rugby leaning friends, stop games 80 minutes. <laughs> take take the, the three points from that stage. But on a more... Serious note, in terms of the, the formation, when you are in a situation as we were where the opposition gets a goal, kind of, it was almost out of nowhere really. I do agree with you in terms of when we were two up, we were kind of, it seems like thinking that the job was done. A bit and like the Newcastle game though actually, isn't it? We, we sat back and Wilson got through and we're very lucky with that penalty. yeah. In that scenario whereby the tide does begin to turn, three at the back can turn very quickly into five at the back. And that is what happened (laughs) on Saturday as soon as the first goal went in. And in terms of the formation that we play, in terms of 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 as it turned into, it does allow a lot of space for for the opposition. It's, It's not a system... When, apart from Man United away, the, the stats show that that was the exception, really. In terms of it's not a formation we really use to push high up the pitch, to really pressurise the opposition in terms of the the final third, you know, in terms of, you know, the Gengen press and other you know, variations are available. It's quite a 
structured formation in that sense. Let the opposition have the ball and play in front of us. And when they do nothing with it, you know, it is quite easy to just sit in the, the respective lines and absorb the pressure and hit the opposition on the counter, which the formation, I think, lends itself more to do, hit a team on a counter. It's a little tricky in terms of when you're in that position, you 2 nil up, you've got the goals. Pushing forward further, it's not quite set up in terms of, OK, we're going to hit teams for the jugular now. We, you know, it's kind of, you do end up in that halfway house, which I think has happened on Saturday. And the interesting stats in terms of Saturday was our number of pressures was the lowest we'd had all season. Watford was second lowest and Tottenham wasn't much better. The the 4-3-3 formation appears to allow its... Well, whether it's a formation or whether it's the players, I think that's, you know, a, a different debate. But we were putting more pressure on the opposition when we were playing 4-3-3 than we were or have been 3-5-2, apart from Man United, where we had the most pressures that we had all season. So we are delving into the stats here. I think the Man U was like 158, 159 pressures. You know, we are... Uh, educational and entertaining bunch here talk of the Trinity but in terms of that tactical setup and it doesn't matter what formation you play when the the tide begins to turn it's very very difficult to then go okay we're going to you know completely change our momentum and we did just keep going backwards in that last five ten minutes and it wasn't really a situation whereby I thought Wolves played particularly well. It wasn't one whereby you can kind of, apart from that last five minutes, it wasn't a rear guard defensive effort So, from the Villa perspective. So I think we did, we did play ourselves into that a bit in terms of, as you said, 2-0 most dangerous lead in football. Wasn't necessarily one whereby we were looking, as you said, to go and try and get the third goal. And yeah, as soon as Wolves got their first goal, which yeah wasn't, we've talked about in previous podcasts about defensive mistakes, and you know everybody wants to eliminate defensive mistakes. I don't think anybody goes out thinking, okay, I'm going to throw a ricket in terms of defense. But you look at those goals, and you're not going to look at them and go, oh, what a great trio of goals Wolves scored. Even the the free kicks, a deflection at the end, you, you got to look at them and go, they were preventable. And so I think in terms of going back to the point of whether it's a freak result or something deeper with the formation, I, I do agree with you that it's both because, you know, the stats in terms of, I think Premier League history, only three teams have won from coming back to score three goals in the last 10 minutes. I think it was Reading and Wigan were, were, were the other two. I am reliably told by our researchers was the case. So it's a freak in that sense. It doesn't happen very often. But I do think in terms of the way the formation has been utilised in recent games, I don't think we are getting pressure on the opposition as much as we can do. And when you're ahead, as we were, that can be, you know, there is maybe a feeling that the job is done. And especially in terms of, Switching it slightly to the positive, because we have talked about John McGinn yeah. during the course of this podcast, this series, kind of having our view, but my view in particular, that he's really stepped up kind of during the course of this season. And 
another really good game, I thought from begin. John McGinn's been fantastic. He's um, obviously trimmed down a bit. He's worked on his fitness over the summer after having a disappointment of getting knocked out early from the Euros with Scotland. Got his goal on on Saturday, so you can't argue with that. Okay, took a deflection, but you've got to have the shot to get that deflection. No one minded when like 84 of our shots deflected against Liverpool and we won 7-2. Uh, John McGinn, I agree, has been one of our one of our standout players. For me, only picked by Douglas Louise, who again played very well at the weekend. Obviously, very tired because of the um, excursions for Brazil, and needed to come off. Nakamba comes on, who's naturally more defensive than him. You'd think that would help shore up the game. And it was only 1-0 at that time. You know, John McGinn got his goal after getting his assist. After Nakamba had come on. John McGinn's, John McGinn's a very good player. You know, he's, um, he's as you've said, he's stepped up with, with Jack Grealish leaving. Yeah, and it, it is good to see that we have somebody who is willing to kind of accept that responsibility is looking for it and it's improving his game which is good player who has kind of had a bit of pressure on him because of a dip in the goal scoring over the last few weeks Danny Ings good to see him get on the score sheet did you see enough with his partnership up front with Ollie Watkins it's kind of a topic we do come back to because it does seem to be one plays well and one doesn't and it does seem to vary from week to week. Haven't seen a consistent performance together from both of them. I didn't see that on Saturday either. Fair? Yeah, definitely. Danny Ings obviously bagging his goal, a goal he needed that he was relieved with. You look at the phase of play prior to Danny Ings scoring. As that ball goes down the right to John McGinn and he manages to hold it up, Ings is on that right side of the penalty box and Watkins comes over to it as well. And you're thinking, now Wally, you get into the centre because McGinn potentially could have crossed it a lot sooner and then allow Ings to get on the ball edge of the box if you need. We know he can hit them from there and score goals. It It's just not clicking for them. And interestingly, and I wonder what you think about this, I saw on Twitter um, a fan... And I'd say, you know, intelligently suggest that maybe we go for a bit more of the Liverpool 4-3-3 with Watkins out wide on the left. He said that Sadio Mane isn't a left winger, he's more of a striker. You could argue that. You could potentially argue that. I'd, I'd say Mane's a winger. He's always played there for Leipzig, for Southampton. And he plays up front occasionally for Liverpool. I'd say Salah's more of a striker for them, but... I don't care about Liverpool. Anyway, you have Watkins on the left, Ings in the middle, and Traore, Buendia, Villagens Bidace, even El Ghazi, someone who will directly run at people with a bit more pace. Is that the way forward? Is that how we beat Arsenal or beat other teams? No, I mean, I think in terms of how we line up against Arsenal, we'll preview that in a bit more detail later on in the 
podcast. But in terms of Watkins on the left, I did read an article and I, I will credit this source from, from the Birmingham Mail who said that Watkins has said he doesn't want to play on the left. Whether that's in terms of, I suppose, a narrow three up front or yeah. whether that's kind of, you know, a, a wider kind of front three, which really a front one kind of with, you know, kind of the two really kind of more hugging the wing, uh, you know, is a, is an interesting debate in terms of whether you should be considering that or giving... But firstly, I don't think you should be giving a player that power of veto anyway. I mean, you you, you play where the manager tells you to play yeah. <laughs> and for what's yeah. best for the team. I think in terms of... I said earlier on in the season, I think I can see the situation whereby Ings is up front, kind of the focal point, how Watkins is on the left. I still think in terms of if you're going to play 4-3-3, then that is the way to make it work. And I think in terms of... The the stats don't always tell the entire story, but the reality is Watkins has only scored one all season. Yeah. So in terms of if you are looking for a central striker, Ings, even though we mentioned he had a bit of a run without goals, he scored more and he looks more likely to score. So if we're going three up front, I would play Watkins on the left, Ings in the centre. And then yeah, on the right, I mean, it was disappointing. I think Troy Ray wasn't fit against Wolves on Saturday. I think he could have made an impact. So once he is back firing and fit, if we're playing the three up front, then yeah, that's the three I'd play. I suppose I the other one, sorry to interrupt you, because I completely forgot this player, and this might help with your thinking. Leon Bailey? Yeah, I mean, if he's fit, then I, I suppose there's, a, there's almost an argument whether if you're playing three up front, whether Watkins is even in the team. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> in, in terms of Bailey. And it, it's tricky in terms of, I suppose... I'm going to preface this by saying it's you know, very premature to kind of be saying, oh, Watkins is not good enough to play for Villa. You know, he sh- shouldn't be in the team anymore. He kind of, you know, he's kind of had his time because we've gone that far okay. in, in advance. But you're looking in terms of, I suppose, the medium term. And I think Bay is a very exciting player. But I suppose if you're having your cynical hat on, He's been fit for 20 minutes and he's been injured the rest of the time. So I suppose in terms of planning the future around Bailey is perhaps a little premature. Although we on the podcast have been excited about Bailey and we've freely admitted that we're really looking forward to getting him in the team. And when he's fit, you know, I think we think he should be looking to knock down the door of that starting 11. But in terms of that kind of, that front free setup. If you've got Bailey on one side, Troyer on the other, I suppose that's what you call a wider front three, to use a non-technical term. Ings is that focal point. Yeah. That, that is it. Watkins is going to have to settle for a place on the bench when fitness kind of comes in, or he proves himself, if we are going to play the two up front, uh, I think realistically speaking, Watkins is going to have to start putting the ball in the back of the net, to use the old-fashioned you know, kind of cliche, along with Ings, to have, you know, the current position. Last season, he was our only striker, really. Yeah. And he had a good season. And so maybe that led to the suggestion that he can perhaps be a bit more forceful about where he'll play or won't play or what he'll be saying to the manager. There's only so much credit 
in the bank you can get for that. And it'll be interesting to see how Dean Smith approaches that because, you know, another theme I suspect we'll be talking about during the rest of the season that we have done pretty much every week so far is there is a, at the moment I'd still say minority, although a vocal minority, who don't think Smith is good enough for the Villa job and want him out. I mean, in terms of, I'm sure they enjoyed our Dean Smith special last week. If you haven't listened to that, check it out on all the channels that we mentioned at the start of the podcast. But there is going to come a stage if results keep going against Villa, then Smith may be looking to go, well, I've got to kind of maybe start looking at what's going to save my skin in terms of this job. And if that means saying to Wally Watkins, sorry, but, you know, you're playing on the left or you're not playing at all, then, yeah, I envision that is going to be a conversation that's going to be escalating near the top of Smith's to-do list fairly quickly. I mean, we said it in terms of the Wolves preview. The fact that we've got, compared to last season, more attacking options for us to be talking about in terms of chopping and changing, I think is a a good situation to be in, obviously. But it is a little bit... I suppose if you really throw back the historical comparisons, like 97, 98, when we had like York, Collymore, Milosevic trying to play the free up front kind of back then, yeah. it didn't really work at the start of the season. It is sometimes... Well, the cliche is you can have too many good players. I would disagree in terms of seeing some of the teams we've had in the last few years. I don't think you can get enough and you should be grabbing onto all of them. But yeah, kind of feeling the way into accommodating the best players into the team, the best players into the system that you're going to be playing. It's going to take time. We've said it's going to take time. Doesn't help when you have freak results such as this, you know, because it's you know very easy to jump to conclusions about you know there's no chance we would have been losing that game if we had somebody else in charge or we'd been playing a different formation maybe maybe not in terms you never know for definite but I I, I do think it is a little premature to be unduly concerned at this stage but you know I'm not naive enough to think that there's nothing that can't be learned from these games and we talked about tactical flexibility before being able to play 3-5-2 or 3-3 what I hope comes out of this game is that because the 3-5-2 first came in against Chelsea we played well but lost then Everton played well in spurts and blew them away in 20 minutes and won 3-0 that is where we've played 3-5-2 pretty much every game since in terms of that I hope what Saturday does is have that step back moment in terms of picking the team for Friday and beyond that thinking we don't necessarily have to play 3-5-2 every game in terms of we can adapt this in terms of horses for courses and there's going to be some games where free up front is going to be better 4-3-3 is going to be better sometimes 3-5-2-5-3-2 is going to be better but I hope in terms of if there was a tendency to we're just going to stick with 3-5-2 now that that's going to be lifted as a result of this game and if it is then well we're, stru- we're stretching for positives we can take that as a positive I would say definitely um, and as you say that that 4-2-3-1 the 4-3-3 are other formations that we need to look at maybe going going back to the Wolves game 
and looking at subsequent home games, maybe 5 3-2, 3-5-2, 3-4-1-2, whichever formation it is or variation is playing, maybe that isn't the home formation. You know, you, you but it's a bit catch-22 really because you want to be more attacking at home, more attacking, having two designated strikers on the pitch up front in Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings is probably about as attacking as you can get unless you throw Cameron Archer on as well or put Leon Bailey up there. But does two up front work? Are you better off having, as you said, Traore and Bailey? Bailey, whilst we, we mentioned his 20 minutes against Everton, he also had a fantastic 20 minutes against Watford. Apparently it's all he needs, you know, to... To that's contribute it. to games. 20 minutes, that's all I need. I'm off now. See you later, lads. You've got him playing. He'll hug the touchline, but he'll also come inside. Whereas Bertrand Traore, every opportunity he gets, he'll cut inside from that right-hand side. You've got Buendia who can play there. Villagens Bidace, El Ghazi, as we said. Now, Ghazi didn't shame himself at the start of the season. He's been very unlucky not to be playing, really. I think it just goes to show the calibre of the squad more than anything about his performances. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a positive knowing that, hang on, actually, that might not be the best formation to play all of the time. Time will tell come Friday as to whether anything has been learned. And speaking of lessons and things which have been learned, you'll remember at the start of this podcast, we mentioned the boy who cried wolf. A boy who came to town and said there was a wolf when there wasn't one there at all. I'm afraid Baz has done you over. As there's no Arsenal preview on this podcast. Instead, just like any good nursery rhyme, we're going to leave you wanting more. Tune in before Friday's big game where we hope to see the Villa smash the Gunners. And as always... Cheers, Tar, thank you very much, and up the villa.